Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The notion of personhood is central to moral and political philosophy. People have duties and rights in law. But what makes you a person? Is it your rationality, a capacity for memory, an ability to imagine a future for yourself and others? Is it mere sentience, the ability to experience pleasure and pain? Professor Dermot Moran, Chair of Moral Philosophy at UCD, is studying this very contentious but also very important and urgent question. I started by asking him where does the notion of person originate? Unusually, the concept of the person does not originally arise in Greek philosophy. The, the notion of the person or persona, the idea comes from the idea of the mask worn by the Greek uh, actors. Um, but it was taken up in Roman law to identify a particular role of uh, free people as opposed to slaves. Free people could own and dispose of property, and their slaves could not, and they, and they were under the right of another. But a person was someone who was under his or her own right, in other words, kind of gave the law to themselves. And that was the basis of the uh, conception of personhood that has continued to the present. I mean, there, there's another source of the concept of the person in medieval theology coming from uh, Trinity, the idea of the three persons in the one God. In the Latin tradition, the word persona was used for that. Um, and, uh, you know, as a result of that, there was a definition, in, a famous definition of, of the person in, by Boethius, which has continued on, that a, a person is an individual substance of a rational nature. So that's been the standard definition. Yeah, and the, the definition has changed uh, and the idea of what makes a person valuable has changed in, in culture and in, in society. So just talk us through that because it is, there's no fixed agreement now on what makes a person valuable. No, clearly in the ancient medieval times the rationality of human beings was what was primarily what distinguished them from other animals. The human beings were rational animals. So we, our particular capacity was our rationality. And of course, you know, obviously... There are lots of human beings who either never fully acquire rationality or lose it. Uh, there are, for example, people in permanent vegetative states, in comas, or in degenerative diseases who lose their rationality, or uh, you know, people with various disabilities who never really gain it. And uh, in our more inclusive society, we want, want to call all of these people persons, and therefore we can't rely on the old definition of personhood that it was exclusively the one that was based on rationality. Now, the problem is that other modern definitions of, of, of personhood aren't much better because uh, one of the most uh, leading discussions of what makes persons persons was by John Locke. And his view was that our personhood is based on self-identity was based on um, memory. You know, you, 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 you glue yourself together, if you like, through your memories. But, of course, when you're, if your memory disintegrates, then, you know, you're not the same person as you were. And, uh, you know, possibly you're not a person at all if it becomes bad enough. And that, so the Lockean uh, tradition doesn't give us a good basis either, the one that's based on the idea of memory. 
And is this a question uh, principally that should be answered or can be answered by uh, philosophers or by scientists? Because neuroscientists and psychologists might feel they have things to say or they're bringing knowledge to bear in this field. Yeah, I, I personally think that the, that the sciences here cannot answer this question, although they can provide a huge amount of background information and clarification. But that the question is really, a, you know, it's either a metaphysical question or some sort of philosophical question that has a moral implication. Um, and it's, you know, a bit like, uh, if you like, membership of a club. I mean, if, if the fact that, you know, we include or exclude certain people from the club as a matter of decision. Now, it might be based upon physical characteristics, you know, or some other kind of characteristics that are identifiable by the sciences. But the concept of being a member of a club is not a scientific concept. So, do you see what I mean? That, that, that the concept of being a person, there's no brain investigation is going to find some little molecule or something down there that is, ah, that's where persons come from. You know, and that's one of the problems. It's it's a metaphysical notion. It's something to do with the integrity of all of these functions that are separately studied in the sciences, like memory, cognition, you know, the emotions, self-identity, and so on. And have answers come up already in philosophy, and um, have those answers been satisfactory? Well, there there's a number of different answers running that are quite clashing with one another at the moment. There is a you know, there is a strong emphasis on, still, on the idea of the person as autonomous. Uh, and this autonomy, uh, an ability to make, um, you know, free uh, decisions and choose choices and so on, uh, that can be there even with a relatively minimal rationality. As we all know from our own children, uh, they have very strong uh, sense of what they want, but maybe not good way of articulating the reasons why they want it. So you could put... Uh, recognizing that persons at least uh, have a degree of autonomy uh, that's always been in the tradition but we're, I think we're recognizing that autonomy runs deeper uh, than we had traditionally thought because Western philosophy in the past really focused on kind of mature adults with, with uh, severe re reasoning skills. There is another uh, view that takes the, the, the account that what makes human beings persons is the ability to have what I call Harry Frankfurt calls second-order desires and beliefs. In other words, to have beliefs about your beliefs. So you could have a you know very strong desire to smoke, for example, and that might not even be a, something that you can articulate consciously. It's just a terribly strong drive to smoke. But you might also have a, a stance towards that desire. You might think, I don't really want to have this desire to smoke. And it's that that would be a second-order desire. In other words, a desire about your desire. I, I wish my first desire to smoke would go away. So it's that capacity to have second-order desires or beliefs. And we don't know if animals have that or not. We think some animals do, that they can correct their beliefs, if you like. And uh, if that would be something that would give you some identifying characteristic of human beings. Uh, but again, it wouldn't apply to people in comas and that, so it wouldn't be all-inclusive. Uh, there, there is another view which I think is more dismissive, which thinks that person is a kind of social category uh, which we will eventually abandon, and that you know it's a kind of a convenient notion to uh, uh, label what is actually a huge disparate cluster of functions. 
So, you know, a human being is made up of lots of different elements. So there are, for example, microbes functioning in your gut that aren't actually you. But you wouldn't be you without them because they're necessary for your survival. So we are, uh, as one philosopher puts it, like swarms rather than uh, individual units. So I'm afraid there's a large amount of disagreement. And then just to make, the, and again, just to throw thing, another thing into the mix, uh, there is this strong argument that personhood shouldn't perhaps be exclusive to human beings, that certain higher order animals um, or mammals can be uh, persons also. Because a lot of the territory maybe is trying to distinguish between persons and animals and try and define specific characteristics that are human. That brings in the, the issue of sentience because that is something, as you say, some philosophers might argue is, is a sufficient characteristic to guarantee certain rights and certain uh, protections. That's right. I think there's a, a, I mean, a lot of the uh, tradition coming from utilitarianism uh, going back into the 18th century had the view that uh, the, you know, at least one of the aims of morality was to uh, maximize or increase happiness and decrease uh, suffering. And of course then you know, the ability of people to experience pain or pleasure uh, becomes a fundamental way of determining you know, how much uh, goods or, or, or you know, should be a proportion to them. So you, you, one way to identify persons is on the grounds of whether or not they can feel uh, pain. Um, and sentience of some kind and of course my feeling is that that's too broad because it would include almost all animals and uh, uh, it wouldn't um, give us a basis for identifying what's truly human now saying that there is a strong movement at the moment called animalism which is trying to uh, uh, downgrade what you might call human exceptionalism, the, the view in the past that human beings were really different from all other animals. And they want to emphasize not just our continuity, but our absolute uh, centrality within the animal kingdom. Uh, and it, along with that, you have, especially in the environmental movement, uh, pressures of, uh, of for us to avoid speciesism, uh, the, uh, the attempt to... Um, to elevate our species above other species because of having some special characteristic. So uh, I think both of those notions are wrong, but I think they're salutary in that we have to think of a notion of personhood uh, that is comprehensive and that does pick out what's uniquely human, but without necessarily you know, arguing that nothing else has this. I think we have to be fairly open-ended about what might constitute persons. And it may very well be that we might want to include uh, dolphins and certain higher-order animals within the category of persons, you know, just as we have... Um, uh, gradually extended rights uh, from adults to children, for example. So the concept of children's rights uh, is a genuine concept now where it would have been laughed at a few hundred years ago. Some have an idea that um, the person emerges from the narrative. What's your feeling about that? Yes, this is a, the, the so-called narrative sense of self is a very common view. It's held by lots of people, including Daniel Dennett, actually. And their argument is that we emerge as persons through, uh, is more or less telling stories about ourselves, that our history, if you like, is the story we tell about ourselves. And uh, part of that is our sense of who we are and where we are in the story right now and where the story is going, what sense of future, if you like, we have. So, 
you know, we can say things like, I wasn't myself yesterday, or that wasn't me talking. Your own memory, in a way, is very selective like this, so it's certainly true that, that our memories work like that, and that what we are doing is picking the bits of ourselves that we most identify with, and, if you like, constructing a self out of that. Of course, you know, I, I don't think the narrative self can be the whole story, and this is the reason we have things like psychoanalysis. You do need someone else to point out, uh, no, yes, you are that miserable uh, uh, person that you are now denying <laughs> that you are. And so, in other, in other words, that we perhaps, that our own self-knowledge is unreliable from that point of view as to, as to give us a full access to our concept of the person. The, the lack of agreement around this area, do you see that as a problem for the integrity, if you like, of human rights law, perhaps, of um, agreed standards within society? Maybe it points up even to, to a zero-sum game that goes on in the human rights field, that if you, if you give rights to certain um, other beings, that it means taking it away from humans. And is that undermining, perhaps, the, the overall um, confidence in, in our existing legal and human rights structures? Uh, it's one of the reasons that the problem is so urgent, I think. I mean, most philosophical problems have been around a long time, but there, in, in this case there's a certain degree of urgency because our whole framework of human rights uh, and the international declarations and charters of human rights are based on this notion of the integrity of the person and of the person as possessing certain inalienable rights. But if we don't know what persons are, uh, we could very quickly get into problems. And there are already problems in the East-West debate between, for example, China and the West, where China says it has a very strong tradition of rights, but it's not based on our Western Enlightenment conception of rights. Uh, and they, they choose a different basis. Now, they do, and there is a lot of discussion, have a conception of humanity, especially within the uh, uh, Confucian tradition. And it has, uh, bears remarkable similarities with ours, but there are differences. And, 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 and they turn on these same kinds of things as to what has primacy, uh, rationality, autonomy, or perhaps is it your uh, participation in the wider group, your uh, belonging to a family, your, your uh, duties and obligations within your community and so on, which is what the Chinese would put as more central than the, what they regard as the, over, over, the overly individualist approach of Western philosophy of rights. Thermot Moran, thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 